out of Mark chapter 1. And uh, it is one of these passages that as I began to work on this message, I was a little bit, um, you know, I thought, well, this is going to be an interesting text. Let's see where it goes. But uh, the more time I've spent with this text, I want to say it's, man, what I feel like there's a clarity on it that for me that is so key. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask you for help and for grace. Lord, this isn't about us convincing one another of certain things. It is about surrendering to your invitation that we could change our minds, that we could agree that there is good news that you have given us for this hour and this day in our lives and in our time. And so, Lord, would you talk to us? I believe you that you can take human words, that you can speak to our hearts. And so we give that in faith and we entrust it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be reading this morning out of Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. Um, and I'm reading out of the Kingdom New Testament. Last week we were uh, we were with Jesus in Capernaum, and verse twenty nine. They came out of the synagogue in Capernaum and went at once with James and John into Simon and Andrew's house. Simon's mother in law was in bed with a fever. This in Jesus' day, a fever wasn't just something you took a pill for. This was life and death. And they. Told Jesus, and, and they told Jesus about her right away. He went in and took her by the hand and raised her up. Interesting, the word for raised is the same word that Jesus uses of his own resurrection from the dead. The fever left her and she waited on them. When the sun went down and evening came, they brought to Jesus everyone who was ill, all who were demon-possessed. And this is interesting. The whole town was gathered around the door. Jesus healed many people suffering from all kinds of diseases and cast out many demons. He didn't allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Very early in the middle of the night, actually, Jesus got up and went out off to a lonely place and prayed. Simon and those with him followed. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Let's go off to other towns around here, Jesus replied. So. I can tell the news to people there too. That's why I came out. Lord, we thank you for your word. Speak to us. The title that I've given the message this morning is Jesus, Jesus Fixing or Jesus Forming. I wasn't quite 16 years old uh, when my dad made a decision to purchase a couple of old pickup trucks that were not running. Uh, both of them, their engines were gone, they were rusted out. One was a 1962 Chevrolet, the other one was a 1964 Chevrolet, or excuse me, Ford, you're right. Um, and my, my brother, just two years older than me, chose the Chevy, and so that one got running first, and with the help of my older brother, my, one of my older brothers is a mechanic, so we got that one fixed, got a new engine in it, painted it, and then it came my turn, 
And I, my job, again, see, at that time, my brother and I are working on the farm. By working on the farm means we were doing more than just collecting some eggs once a day. Uh, by this point, I'm in high school. We, and a normal work, work, a normal week for me in high school, and it all just seemed kind of normal for me. Um, I'm going to high school, but I'm also putting in about 20, sometimes 38 hours a week on the farm. It's just the way it was. And so as a form of payment, this is what my dad was, you know, kind of trying to come our direction a little bit. Didn't have a lot of money to give us, so hey, you know, we'll see if we can get you some wheels. And so here comes my turn, 1964 Ford pickup, rusted out on the bottom wheel wells. Oh, by the way, the bed of that truck didn't match that Ford pickup. It actually was an IH bed. Interesting to me that that bed was probably made right here in Fort Wayne, right? It's International Harvester. So, <clears throat> but it didn't fit under the truck. So the point is it looked kind of weird and squirrely. So as I was working with my older brother, we we detached this bed and moved it back so that it looked correct. You know, the, the wheel wells matched the tire, but then we had a six inch space behind the cab of the truck and the bed of the truck. What did we do with that? Well, John had a great idea. He said, hey, I know what we'll do. We'll take the exhaust pipes and we'll, we'll take that exhaust, single exhaust pipe off the straight six. It had a three speed column, you know, slapstick column gear shift. It was cool. Um, I'm exaggerating. It was a very simple AM radio. I mean, we're talking about a very simple vehicle now. And so we split the exhaust, run it up the back so it looks like it has dual exhaust that are running up in between the bed of the truck and the cab of the truck, painted those white, painted the truck banana yellow. And by the time it's all done, I mean, for a young guy, 60 years old, living in Southern Missouri, just getting my driver's license, what did it mean? It meant that I could go out on Friday night and drag Main Street. Now, we didn't drag. Dragging Main Street meant this. Before there were uh, phones to keep you busy as teenagers, this is what we would do. I don't know if I've ever told you about this. See, you go Friday night, this was the thing. You go out Friday night, you go downtown, you drive all the way from one point of downtown, all the way to the other, turn around, and you do it again. All night. Drag Main Street. So that's what we would do. And I'll tell you what, long before Tracy Chapman ever wrote the song, I was living the lyric, baby. You got a fast car, truck. City lights lay out before us, and I had the feeling that I belonged. I had the feeling that I could be somebody. The only problem was, no matter how cool my truck made me feel, had little flappers on the top of the exhaust. Kind of weird. I mean, I was a hick. Bang, 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 bang. It really didn't fix what was actually going on inside of me. By then, I'd already been hospitalized because my body was revealing what was happening in the deeper parts of me. I was diagnosed with ulcerated colitis. Yes, that's an autoimmune illness, but its onset is very much connected to watching my mother slowly give way to terminal cancer. Add to this that my father, whose passionate conviction was that my mom could, and dare I say should, 
be healed of that sickness left little room to talk about the obvious lest you give way to unbelief. You had to have enough faith. No margin for error here if you want healing. And so, where does it leave a young teenager? It leaves them feeling very alone. Emotionally. Going through the pain. I got a fast car. But it could be said, perhaps, of our family, wait a minute, maybe even, maybe even, my dad and other members of our family were looking for a fast car, a fix for what was actually tearing us up. See, looking for a fix, I'm not talking about drugs. I'm talking about something for our life. Interesting. Now, well, this is why I think this is such a crucial message. It is often how we give context to faith. Listen to this. How many times did I internalize something that sounded a little bit like this? Uh, you know, I've heard it. I, I alluded to this last week, you know, when somebody, I saw somebody post a meme, you get a five cent prayer, you want a million dollar answer as if somehow you're earning something in that transaction. Do you hear the communication that comes through that? Or how about this one? Um, you know, based on what you believe, that's going to that's gonna make the big difference. So you need to actually be certain of what you believe. So, so it begins with a certainty about what you know that's anchored in an optimistic view that you know the right things, therefore you will get the right answer. So suddenly it's about certainty and optimism and a life anchored in control. Because if I know the right things and I, I can show you them and, and I'm pretty sure that I performed in the right ways, my life is, is centered and expressed in control. That's actually religion. And Jesus comes and he's revealing something that is anchored in faith, a mystery of something given to us that we don't earn. And hope that is anchored in something beyond the veil, in himself, and is centered and expressed in love. And beloved, getting those two issues, that one side or the other, there's such a clarion difference between the two. You sit in pews, believing we're going to get a hold of something that can fix something. Curiously, What I was expressing, while I maybe didn't have the vocabulary emotionally to express it, was not a lot different than what Simon says in our text. Jesus. We've got momentum. People are experiencing some powerful stuff. Healings, deliverance. 
everyone wants to know where you are. Simon is saying what everyone is thinking. Jesus, you're not present to what seems obvious. Oh, wait a minute. Have I ever felt that? If you can fix it, and based on what I've seen, Jesus, you can. I've seen you do stuff. Why aren't you doing more? You're in the dark and seemingly leaving us in the dark. And then we have this gospel that Mark writes. It moves really, really rapidly. And we have this incredible, powerful tension. Boom, right here in chapter one. God has come. Yes. But he's not doing what we want. Or even what we think he obviously should do. Boom, chapter one. Jesus, where are you? Are you fixing it? People are looking for something or someone to fix their life, and God comes to address some things that are maybe a bit deeper. I'm trying to invite you to a life that is actually surrendered to something quite different. I'm looking at things deeper. And, and so it brings this question into our mind Has God come first to fix? Our suffering to get a fast truck or has God come to meet man in the depths of his suffering that in the end overcomes death by death by stretching out his arms and suffering. Everyone's looking for you. Come on. To fix real problems. And in the closing scene of the text, when Jesus says, hey, you know, we're going to go somewhere else. Can I point one thing out that's actually really cl clear and obvious? And Jesus says, I'm going to go somewhere else. Tell more people. He's leaving Capernaum and he's leaving individuals in need. How do I know that? Well, remember in chapter two, he returns to Capernaum and some friends of a paralytic said he's back. He's not getting away this time. They rip the roof off and bring him. So Jesus seems to go out of his way to reveal a God who is not just about fixing suffering, but the God who meets us in our suffering and to proclaim, you're not alone. And he's inviting us to be able to live differently in that place. That's good news. I've come to proclaim good news. Maybe all of these miracles were pointing to the message. Maybe the point is the message. See, in these verses that capture all the attention of Capernaum, Jesus reveals life over death. 
Simon's mother-in-law is raised up. He's silencing the lies of hell. He's healing bodies. And he's, he's in the dark, in prayer. Jesus, everybody's looking for you. He's doing less than what they had hoped for. Everyone is looking for more. And then there's these annoying questions that come with this. Maybe, maybe Jesus' arrival was not simply to reveal the power to heal and deliver. Maybe Jesus' ministry wasn't first about having a healing ministry. Maybe he's looking to something else that he knows ultimately will lead to a cross. That if I'm raised up, I'll draw men, women, boys and girls unto myself. One of his main point is that he's inviting them to something deeper in the deeper regions of their heart. What if that message is the main point? That we could actually be formed into a different person. That we could actually partner in another realm, in another kingdom. That the image of Christ could be in me. That I could become an actual human being. And as I think about my own life, I, I think of the number of times that I hear the voice of Simon. Jesus, everybody's looking. My friend's wife is dying. Now she's gone. We're looking for you to make it okay. To get things back to normal. I don't want to, I mean, you know, to make our life great. Listen to the phraseology. It all touches these fear points in us. And Messiah comes not just to get things into our normal, but to reveal this is what actually to know God. To restore the dream of the Godhead in Genesis 1. Oh man, I pray, as I pray this prayer, almost daily my mind, I, I think about this beautiful image. Oh Jesus, you with the Father and the Son, this dream that you had, that everything that you shared in the Godhead that you would partner with mankind in, this is so amazing. But so often I'm consumed with what's right in front of me, Jesus, I want everything to be okay. And Jesus says plainly to his friends, follow me. Come follow me. And, and oh, by the way, that lie that you hear, you know, that it's going to be a good plan and it's going to go, it's actually going to be harder. It will lead to a cross. But I know how to bring life. You just need that in the face of death. I'm going to do that with you. I'm going to raise something up in you. And I've come to reveal not a more comfortable version of your life, but the God who has come to meet you in your actual life. And, and I think about some of those phrases, you know, when he comes into Nazareth and he opens the scroll, reads from Isaiah 61, and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to silence the lies of hell that you're alone. I brought freedom to the captive, sight to the blind, blessing to the poor and the oppressed. 
So Mark's chapter here, Mark's story in chapter one, he's inviting us, I believe, to think deeper. What if Jesus didn't just come to heal, but to point to and to reveal another kingdom? I believe he did. And you know, guys, how easy it is for us to get caught up in meetings and movements that seemingly, if we all do it right, it's going to fix life. Or dare I even say, almost demand on God that things in our life go a certain way, almost as if we have a right that things need to go right in my life or they should go a certain way. Well, Jesus, if, if I have you in my life, it shouldn't be like this. If I've done all things in the right way, Jesus invites us to a cross, to a cross-shaped, cruciform gospel. As to come and follow me, and that the image of Christ would be formed and seen in me, that that image looks like self-giving, self-sacrificing love and forgiveness. So the miracles were intended to point to that kingdom. One where his presence is always with us, not just to feed us once, but to feed us for an eternity. You know, that, that fixing mentality, that fast car thinking of Mark 1? You know, people, those that watched Jesus were inviting him, even in that, in Mark 15, verse 3, we read that they're saying, Jesus, if you actually are, he rescued others, and he can't even rescue himself. Now, let's get the context. Think about this for a moment, okay? Jesus, just get it fixed. Man, you can't even fix it. And yet, what he's doing is actually rescuing all of humanity in that very moment and ushering in another kingdom on a cross. And that's, again, where this passage gets so uncomfortable. It's like, Lord, where, so, so wait, wait, where is this going? That the formation of the kingdom would be seen in me and among people in real time in real human lives. Not just ideas in our head, but like actually seen in me. I was reading in this last week about a Romanian priest. His name's Father George Kalsu. Uh, he passed away, I think, in 2006 at the age of 80. But in 19, and in the late 40s, he has now lived through World War II as a younger man, and he's now teaching other Romanians what it means to actually follow Jesus in the midst of a very broken world around him. And now in a world where, you know, how if you study World War II post World War II, Romania is now under the thumb of one of the Axis powers that wound up being Russia. And they have begun to clinch their fist and express control so as 
Father George Calciu, this Romanian priest, is teaching young Romanians what it means to follow Jesus. He's saying you follow Jesus and not the state. And as a result, not for his actions of calling people to follow Jesus, but the idea of believing in a kingdom other than the state, he's rounded up, sentenced to death. 21 years he spends on death row in Romania. Uh, interestingly, he's miraculously released and by the state exiled for another 21 years in America. They wanted him away. Now, before that 21 years is over, the Iron Curtain falls, everything changes. He actually made many trips back to Romania to speak to young people and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. He was interviewed about his imprisonment for a, bi a biography about his life, and he described some things that began to happen to him. He, in his prison cell on death row, waking up not knowing would this be his very last day. He describes this. Now think about this. The deep presence of Christ in his suffering. Whether on that day it was an insect in his cell that he took as a visitation, Jesus being present, a passing conversation with a guard, all of these things that he could be grateful for, he began to see Christ's presence and became deeply aware of Christ with him in all things. Before his death, he said this, we're losing a generation of people because we and the world around us have said that what God wants most for us is to be happy. And we have left folks unprepared for the suffering that awaits them in every life, even good lives. And we've told them that Jesus can be a useful accessory in our quest for getting perfect privilege lives. Jesus refuses to be an accessory to our own self, life, and grandizing projects. Jesus promised that we would suffer, that Christ came to fill our suffering with his presence. Now listen to this. Christ did not come into the world to eliminate suffering. Christ did not even come into the world to explain it. He came to fill suffering, human suffering, with his presence. This is why where suffering is great, there God is. There Christ is in us. If you want to feel the presence of God, go into the hospitals. There you will see suffering, uh, the suffering of innocent children, the suffering of old people. The presence of God, the presence of Christ is in all their suffering. When Christ came into the world, he suffered with me. He suffered with you. Can you imagine how much dignity he gave to human suffering to suffer with us and to fill it with his presence? Beloved, here's a man who had moved from the ideas of a God who'd come to fix his life, to give him a, a fast car, to being formed 
in his heart that God could come and fill his suffering with the very presence and changed everything. He began to surrender to this reality. Oh, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. After all, Jesus says, this is the reason I'm here to proclaim good news, the good news of the kingdom. Beloved, God's vision is bigger. It's called his kingdom. That is what calls us to look forward, to look up. Remember what he said to Nathaniel and Andrew when he said, follow me and you're going to see heaven revealed in human lives. A treasure in jars of clay that the surpassing glory is from God. That the uncreated entered into our suffering to reveal a God who overcomes not by power or punishment, but by love outstretched on a cross. Love that invites us to a life formed by that love that can reveal heaven on earth in real time. And it is good news. The kingdom is at hand. This is why I've given up on the idea of taking positions for us here in the West where we get all dispensational and try to figure out when is Jesus returning. I want to be present to Jesus today. Amen. Are you hearing me? See, this is why I've come. Not to run a ministry that points to to something that can fix things, but, but that you are so convinced. You got to the place where you're so convinced like that teenage boy, like you're alone, but that I'm there with you. And that you become convinced that these are just pretty words in the scripture. That nothing in all of created order could separate you. 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 Not things created. From the love of God that is revealed in Christ. Nothing. The best news is that. I can meet you where you are and open the door of heaven into your life over death, proclaiming life in the midst of darkness, proclaiming light, bringing freedom from the lies that bind the mind and the heart and hope in the place of despair, life abundant in the face of all that comes to steal, kill and destroy. Beloved, remember what I was talking about earlier, this idea that we get into our heads of certainty, optimism, control, Jesus invites us. Faith, hope, and love, that's the gospel. Where did Jesus, excuse me, where did Simon find Jesus? In the dark, in the middle of the night. There's Jesus, not living in demand, not fear, not lack. Living from his true self, connected to the Father. And I wonder what he was praying. Maybe Soren Kierkegaard that we talked about last week. Maybe this was part of that prayer. Father, with your help, I will be myself today. Now let's go to another place. Jesus is as if he believes Confidently, that a little bit of yeast, the good yeast, works through it. Living from the abundant heart of the Father is enough. Perhaps, perhaps he was praying the Lord's Prayer of the Old Testament. Father, Yahweh, you are my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I fear nothing. I, I've come to reveal good news, this same freedom that you, Father, are reminding me of even now. Freedom from lack, but in the place of abundance that is your kingdom. I have all that I need. I'll be myself today. Did it lead him to a carefree life? No. See, when we come to this place and begin to say, oh Lord, to be formed. When this good news begins to get a hold of our heart, changes everything. See, you don't have to have it all fixed to encounter the God who's come and said, death seems like it's looming, but I've brought life, raised you up. Words that are swirling, I've come to proclaim words of life and light and beauty. If you have this message formed in you, you have all things. God has come to you and to me. Listen to this, the God who emptied hell has come to reveal heaven to us. God, I need this fixed. His invitation. Mark 1.15. Change your mind. Repent. I bring life in the face of death. Light and darkness. Beauty for ashes. Change your mind. With your help, O oh God, I'll be myself. So here's that simple prayer again from St. Teresa of Avila. Beloved, can I proclaim this over us today? Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. God alone suffices. Whoever has God lacks nothing. Amen.